The Low Post is brought to you by Goodyear, helping you discover the road ahead. Goodyear, more driven. And now, The Low Post. Welcome to a very special edition of The Low Post Podcast. The NBA season is over, and I will start this by saying, about eight months ago, a couple friends of mine, neighbors, said, you gotta, you gotta sit down and do Ted Lasso. You have to do it. You're not going to regret it. And I said, that's the one That's the one where they did those commercials on NBC like, like 10 years ago. They, they made a whole show out of that. They said, just trust us and do it. And most decisions I make in life are bad in general. Um, that's the best decision I made the entire year. Ted Lasso is a national treasure. It returns for season two on Apple TV today by the time uh, this goes up and joining me on the low post podcast co-creator co-star is the mysterious enigmatic coach beard brendan hunt it is an honor how are you doing (laughs) what an intro zach oh my god yikes i mean i feel like every episode is probably a special episode but then that was already i was already gonna call you out on that but then you kept going oh you're sweet um i'm good i'm it's frantic right now. It's very busy. I'm very happy to be here. I've been reading you for years. So the pleasure is mine, sir. 20 Emmy nominees. The whole cast got nominated, basically, including you. You're an Emmy nominee, among among many other things. 20 Emmy nominations, which is like, I thought only Game of Thrones kind of shows where there's a cast of like 9,000 people and they get every special effects nomination and edit. I thought only those kind of shows could get so many nominations. A Peabody Award, which is like, what? A, the Peabody Award, that's like, that's like if I won the Pulitzer Prize. That's insane. And and just the success of the show is unbelievable. It's completely well-deserved. You guys have created something very, very special. So I will start by asking you this. It's known as the sweet show. The Peabody Award said it was the antidote to toxic masculinity, which I guess if you're going to be an antidote to something, the virus would be the first thing to be the antidote to and, and toxic masculinity would be up there. How did you manage, though, and, and as a writer, to make a show that's sweet without being saccharine? Like, what, what are the steps you took to make sure we hit that sweet spot, no pun intended, where, yeah, it's sweet and positive and happy, but it's not sugary. It's not a romantic comedy. It's not going to make people roll their eyes. What were the steps to get there? We say a lot. That's kind of uh, that's kind of our secret weapon because most shows that, you know, have you know, been described by people as being this kind of you know positive thing, you know, Highway to Heaven, uh, or something like, those are those are very very, you know, conservative sort of shows, I guess, you know, and they and they want to be super family friendly and and and, and uh, not piss off any sponsors. Um, we want to sound like. The world sounds, you know, we want to talk how people actually talk. Um, and, and I think that is some, you know, those two things together are two things that don't often go together. Um, and, and maybe that's what, you know, is helping people sort of find the whole thing, you know, helpful or realistic is that it, it, it appears, you know, if you use the language of the real world, then it's easier to believe that even the show with as ridiculous a premise as this is, is taking place in the world you live in. Um, Brett Goldstein, who plays Roy Kent, uh, the jaded veteran soccer player, is 
Insta I had never seen him before. I want to know about how you found him and all that, but he is instantly like top five all time f bomb droppers. He has he'll he'll ride that f like fuck like it, it, it's. I was rewatching some scenes today. He is an unbelievable dropper of the f bomb, and I don't even have a question. Did did you realize that? Is he? It's, it, he is like for what he has a chance to be. What Clay Davis was for. He has a chance to be for the F-bomb. Wow. There's there's no higher compliment than to be the Clay Davis of another word. Um, you know, I mean, that character is is based uh, loosely on uh, on Roy Keane. Um, and Roy Keane was very, you know, who played for, for those who wouldn't know, he uh, he played for Manchester United on their, their best teams. And he played for the Republic of Ireland. And he was famously very combustible and very uh, foul-mouthed. Uh, he quit. Uh, Ireland right before a World Cup because he hated the manager, and uh, the if I had this right, the uh, the quote attributed to him was uh, "shove it up your bollocks," which doesn't sound that dirty to us, but apparently it's pretty dirty over there, and it's also not physically possible. I don't know how you shove shove things up your testicles. Anywho, every <laughs> every we have is an attempt to honor the uh, the beautiful source material that is the original RK. Oh, sorry, I and mean, I should add though, but Brett's fucking fantastic. <laughs> you know, um, Brett. Also Emmy right. nominated. Also Emmy nominated. Yep, yep. Uh, but yeah, he he makes uh, he makes every fuck a, a, a tiny a tiny melody. How how so so? Correct me if I'm wrong, but the sh I, I know this is not wrong. But the show is shot in London or in the UK, and I believe you you guys fought you and Jason Sudeikis, whose name we probably should have said by now. He is Ted Lasso. <laughs> um, uh, fought hard for that and i actually think as a viewer it makes a difference just the scenes of him walking from his apartment on the streets of i think it's supposed to be notting hill right like that it just lends an authenticity to it but my follow-up question would be did it help you find um local english both extras and co-stars and how did you like some of these people i've never seen before how did you find them was it just an audition process they came in with lots of other people yeah, basically everyone auditioned, and um, none of us had worked with any of these people before, uh, with the exception being that uh, Bill Lawrence, our showrunner, had worked with Brett on something a few years ago. Um, but uh, you know, Juno is the only person, along with Anthony Head, who got offers. But everyone else, yeah, just just auditioned, and um, and they just they got a ton ton of good actors over uh, over there, and um, they can all do anything. You know, like they, this, these scripts in our show, there's a lot of push pull between, you know, quote unquote, heavy moments and, and comedy moments. And we like to, we like to turn on a dime and, and it has been no problem for any of these people. Um, and they're all a good hang too, which is, you know, it's part of why we all have such a good time on this thing. Everyone's, everyone's pretty damn cool. No turkeys, as Jason says. If you haven't watched season one of Ted Lasso and you care about not knowing plot developments i mean it's a comedy but there are plot developments stop listening now that's your spoiler alert i don't know the timetable of how you shot season one but was there a plot line or a character development that like midway through changed and by the end you're like wow i didn't know that we would end up here but we ended up here and it really worked not while we were shooting it but while we were while we were writing it there was a there was a big change um you know, me and Jason and Joe Kelly, the uh, you know original uh, creators of the show, long you know long ago had written you know uh, an outline for a season, and 
we didn't want it to be a typical uh, sports movie arc where these plucky underdogs win the title at the end. That's just not that's that's too unrealistic even for for this show. Um, but also, it would be kind of like wonderfully soccer of it if like it's the battle for relegation, which is or to not be relegated, which is something that uh, that people don't really know here. But we'd introduce them to it, we'd set it up, and we'd show them the stakes. And for you know years, we're like, oh yeah, okay, and we set up relegation, we set up relegation. Then at the end, you know, happy ending, they don't get relegated, and on we go. And then like two months into the writers' room. Um, Bill Lawrence, who was, you know, I think must have been spending the previous two months getting familiar with the definition of relegation, as Ted does, finally out of nowhere goes, we talk about relegation so much, at the end, they should just get relegated. Uh, 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 oh, he's right. Um, and that was a that was a big material change. And I think that ending fits the fits the series much, much better. And I think it's a big reason why well, it's, an, it's another reason why people get attached to this show. Cause like, I know I, I found in, in my soccer fandom, I think the spoiler might be over now. Uh, in my soccer fandom, I I've gotten attached to teams more by watching them lose the big game than win the big game. And I guess that's true in a lot of sports, but like watching Holland after I moved to Amsterdam, watching them lose the European championship semifinal, was like I'm I'm Holland for life now. Like this is the worst thing I've ever felt, and I don't ever want to feel this again. And I don't know is that is that unique to soccer? Really, I I don't think so. I bet there's plenty of plenty of one-off games people well, you're, have had their heart broken over. You're a Chicago guy, and and uh, I think the Cubs and the Red Sox um, both. I don't know that they lost something when they finally won, but the nature of supporting the teams probably changed, right? Did you are you, I, are you a Cubs fan? Um, as a North Side child of South Side parents, I have a complicated relationship with Chicago baseball in general. But I've been to more Cubs games than Sox games. Okay, fair enough. Um, so, so you mentioned the um, unrealistic, even for a show like this, the magic <laughs> trick that you did. I don't know how you did it. Was to simultaneously lean in to the preposterousness of a football coach being offered a Premier League soccer coaching job without any knowledge of how soccer works. You leaned into it. You acknowledge it. You look it in the face. It's part of the show. You don't look away from it. But at the same time, it's it's played straight. You know, it, it, I don't even know how to explain it. It's played straight by all the characters. They all acknowledge it, but they all just sort of say, okay, this is our reality. We're going to just work within it. And I don't know how you struck that balance, but but it, it's like a magic trick because my assumption was we'll just stop talking about how ridiculous it is and it'll be it'll be a show about something else. But it, it never it's always in the show. How did you do that? Um, well, you know, we were I don't want to say saddled with that premise, but that premise was was what we started with, you know, because that, you know, that that was the commercial. Um, and, you know, in improv. We have, you know, we, you know, me, Joe, Jason come from an improv background. There's, there's the philosophy of, you know, the uh, worst idea with the best support or the worst idea with the most support beats the best idea with the least support. And so, yeah, uh, you know, Mike Gundy suddenly working at Watford um, is, is a horrible idea. So let's support the hell out of it. (laughs) You know, uh, let's go in all guns blazing. And then separately from that, because the idea is so ridiculous, I think it was beholden on us to uh, surround that that premise um, with 
real characters, you know, and real people and try to depict this whole thing as realistically possible so that at the very least this crazy ass thing is taking place in a real world. Spring is the best time to add new challenges to your training just in time for summer and warmer days. It's also the best time of the year to take a new look at your fitness routine, dial it up a notch, and continue powering on. Peloton's varying class lengths were designed with your personalized training in mind. Whether you'd like to add a 10-minute course session at the end of your strength class or take a 60-minute power zone ride to increase your endurance, Peloton classes help you focus on your needs and goals. They are also made to challenge you with a variety of classes like boot camps, boxing, okay? full body strength, marathon training, all created to grow your skills or push you to improve in what you already excel in. Peloton's expert coaches and nonstop vibes, hashtag vibes, will push you to new levels of strength and endurance, keeping you on your toes while giving you the professional coaching you need. And with a wide variety of options, whether you prefer to run outdoors, row, or ride at home, or strength train at the gym, Peloton has something for you. Get your head start on summer with Peloton at onepeloton.com. That's onepeloton.com. Two guys drove to work. Neither guy wore a seatbelt. One guy got a ticket. One guy didn't. The same two guys drove home. One guy wore a seatbelt. One guy didn't. One guy made it home. The guy not wearing his seatbelt didn't. Don't risk it. Click it or ticket. Paid for by NHTSA. This is a basketball podcast nominally, so let's do some basketball stuff. because, And I think because you and Jason Sudeikis is obviously a big NBA fan, there are NBA references sprinkled into this show, including one of which I'm not sure anyone has noticed that we're going to talk about. Only I would notice because I'm a crazy person. But the most famous one was the recreation of Allen Iverson's practice rant. Um, and the twist on it is it's the coach giving the practice rant at the player and not the other way around. And a lot of it is verbatim. Uh, there are obviously deviations because the sports are different and all that. And for people who haven't seen it, it's an amazing rendition by Jason Sudeikis as Ted Lasso of Allen Iverson's practice rant. How did you decide to do this? How did you execute it? And how did you decide to have the coach sort of reverse the roles and be the one giving the rant? It, it happened in the flow of a writer's room session talking about I think we weren't even talking about that episode yet. We were just kind of talking about things in general. And then, yeah, as as things just sometimes come up randomly, Alan Iverson's speech came up and immediately it was like, oh, Ted gives that speech, but he's advocating for practice or, uh, over a game as opposed to a game over practice. Yes, boom, file that away. And like, you know, only only about half our writer's room you know, knows that reference or whatever. So some were like, okay, what, what, what else are we talking about? But those of us knew what it was. It was like, okay, there's, there's something there. That's really funny. Um, and it was Jason who eventually chose where to put it. And I also think in the end, you know, his final touches on it and definitely his performance of it really elevated it to this great moment. Um, and I, I'll always wonder because I'll, I'll never be able to experience it this, this way, what it's like to watch that scene, having no idea that we're making a reference it must seem so weird to just be like, why? He's really yelling. <laughs> so I, my wife, is not, himself. my wife is not familiar with the Allen Iverson practice rant. So, and, but, but as someone who knows it, I had my own delightful sensation, which is the first time he says practice, it doesn't really register. And then he says it again. And you have this wonderful waterfall of the thing dawning on you. Like, oh, 
They're doing the Iverson practice rant. And I had to stop the show and explain. So there was this player who complained about practice and like the speech. I was like, the speech is exactly the same. It's exactly the same. How many takes? How many takes did people start laughing? Did the cast get the joke? Like, tell me more. I think we probably, I mean, give with all the different, you know, coverage, you know, camera angles that we got of it, um, probably did 10 or 15 takes total. Um, and, you know, that allowed Jason to have 10 or 15 takes of getting closer to getting it right, you know, in terms of the, the words themselves. Um, but for the most part, the cast and crew had no idea what we were doing. So it was between one of the camera moves or during one of the camera moves that Jason finally got his phone out and, you know, 12 dudes in Richmond shirts gather around uh, a phone and watch this speech and like, oh, okay. And, you know, Jason really gets into the backstory on that too of what Iverson was going through at the time. Um, and uh, yeah, there's been a few moments like that during the course of the season. I wish I could remember others, but where it's like, we're doing a thing the cast doesn't quite get it they just give it full commitment anyway and then afterwards we explain it and they're like that's great except you know in a cockney accent um when did you so the commercials were like 2013 14 i think something like that um then you have this idea for a show that what did you begin shooting 2019 2020 i don't know how shooting schedules work something like that so when in that so in there's six or seven years there what was the moment when you knew, when you thought for the first time, oh, oh my God, this, we might actually get to do this. Like, this isn't just a pipe dream that we have. Like, when did it become, not like, when did you strike the deal, but when did it become like, oh, we, we might actually get to do this? Um, it, it was when uh, Jason said the words Bill Lawrence uh, for the first time. Um, Bill Lawrence is our, our showrunner and the, and the fourth creator of the show. Um, for folks who don't know him, uh, he made Scrubs and Spin City. Um, he wrote on the first season of Friends. Um, uh, Cougar Town is his as well. Um, and as, as Jason is fond of saying, he's forgotten more about television than any of us will ever know. Um, and and Bill Lawrence gets things done. And once once Jason was like, hey, is that all, the, all our Ted Lasso material that we kind of you know, workshop for a while. Is that still online somewhere? I'm like, yes, man. That's how that's how the internet works. Um, <laughs> like, okay, cool. I'm, I'm talking to Bill Lawrence tomorrow. Like, bah, 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 bah. Um, and sure enough, you know, three months later, uh, me and Jason and Joe are having dinner with Bill Lawrence, and two months after that, we're in a writers' room. Unbelievable! It's an unbelievable success story. And you've I've read all a lot of the interviews you've done in the past month. You've been asked a gazillion times, like, how does it feel when it becomes a hit? When did you know that it was becoming a hit? What's the piece of feedback where you were like, oh my God, it's becoming a hit. So I don't know, I wanna ask that question differently, but I don't quite know how to ask it differently. It must continue to happen every day now. There must be something every day, a direct message, an interview, a coach referencing be a goldfish like Quinn Snyder of the Utah Jazz did. Um, it just must be a daily occurrence at this point, right? Um, it, it can feel like that. Yeah. You know, just, just people come out of the woodwork who we never would have thought would everyone watching our show. And then they, they'll just get on Twitter and, and shout about it. You know, like Barry Jenkins and Maureen McCormick and, and Carrie Washington and Bo Willimon and, and Steve Kerr, uh, hero of my youth, Steve Kerr. I guess Steve Kerr. Said, what did Steve Kerr say? I missed this. He had a tweet about it. Um, like shortly after the show came out, I forget what it was. Um, um, but, uh, it was, it was, it was really, really, it was really, really lovely. Um, uh, sidebar, 
Um, we had a new writer's assistant for season two, uh, a guy, Matthew, like, you know, kid trying to make it in this business. And, um, and I wasn't there the day he got introduced or something, but it's like, I mean, it's all over zoom. We're having a good time. Um, and then one day, like slowly start to realize, Oh, this kid's 19. I think he's living with his parents. Okay, cool. Do, 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 do. We come back from lunch once and there's someone on the zoom. There's someone in Matt's room and Matt, uh, his last name is Kerr. Um, and, uh, and I go, <laughs> I go, is that your dad? He's like, yeah, your dad looks like Steve Kerr. I look closer. Holy shit, that's Steve Kerr. <laughs> Steve Kerr just leads in and gives a wave and uh, and off he goes. Um, uh, but I still think he was, you know, he, his tweet about the show was was sincere and not just trying to, yes, to help no, his, his son's gig get pushed along. So I don't, I, I, I ran into the Warriors contingent in Chicago for the draft combine and this topic came up, and I completely forgot about it until you just brought up Steve Kerr, that that his son is involved in the show. And I can confirm for you that Steve Kerr was overjoyed that he had found someone else who wanted to talk about Ted Lasso out of nowhere. And then oh. we just, like, grinned at each other, and we're, like, stupid, slobbering idiots talking about how much we love um, Ted Lasso. That's, that's amazing. Um, and, by the way, it's coming – the Obama tweet is coming. It's just a matter of time. Like he, it, it's gonna. It, that that's what the crescendo is gonna be. It feels like an Obama show. He likes sports. It's going to happen. You know, we we didn't make his end of twenty twenty list of uh, of things to watch. So I don't know. Maybe we missed the boat there. I, it's good. It, I, was, I was hoping we'd get there, but oh well. Okay, another another um, deep cut NBA reference is I I I I don't know how I noticed this, but scanning the locker nameplates of Richmond FC. You're, it, it must be a scene where there's panning across the locker room from player to player and the nameplates are in the background. I see Coach 7. And I'm like, I don't think we've met a, a character called Coach. Someone in this writer's room is a Bulls fan and has just inserted this Easter egg for lunatics like me to get very excited about. Was this you? Um, I, I was a driving force in the Coach. yes. When... You know, one of the fun parts of doing this was, you know, we we had characters who had names and we were going to cast those people, but then we still needed names to fill out the world. Um, and I just thought, like, well, every Premier League team has at least one Eastern Bloc person. Um, uh, not always Croatian, but often Croatian. Let's 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 honor the waiter. Let's get him in there. Because um, yeah, I, I will love Tony Kukoc for all my days. There is one of our uh, extras, you know, SAs, um, who's around but doesn't have any lines, is Kukoc. He, so he is there. Um, okay. But, uh, but, but yeah, he has yet, uh, yet to figure into any stories. But, but, yeah, good eye. Well, just know that it brings – I don't know how many people noticed. There's probably stuff I haven't noticed like that, but that it brought me great, great joy. Let's talk about some of the uh, iconic scenes from the first season. The first, the most famous one is probably the darts game scene um, between Ted and evil Rupert. Um, and it's got a gazillion hits on YouTube. It's, it's a delightful scene. How, and it's based on the Walt Whitman quote, be curious, not judgmental. This is what Ted Lasso is, is more or less lecturing evil Rupert about. We're, who 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 decided where did that quote come from? I know where it came from. It came from Walt Whitman, but where did it come from into the show's universe? That's all Jason. Um he 
you know, he, he knows that quote um, and he, and you know, it's, it's, it may or may not have come from Walt Whitman. It's, it's, it, that may be apocryphal, but it's, it's certainly associated with him. And um, it's a, it's just a great quote, you know, it's a great way to, it's a great way to look at life. Um, and yeah, I think that that speech wasn't even originally in that script, uh, you know, getting close to shooting that scene, Jason just kind of came up with it. And he wow. put that in and it's a real, it's a, it's, you know, it's a little bit of, it's a bit of a testament to, to, you know, honor your ideas when you have them, because even if they don't get much time to marinate, they might be really good <laughs> because there was a, there was a fairly short lead in, if I recall correctly, between him coming up with that and us, us actually getting it on screen. And um, yeah, it's pretty, pretty cool to see how much people dig it. Who, who, who and how decided to have him say barbecue sauce before the last bullseye? Um, that was Jason. And actually there was a little more, there was like one more sentence before that, um, that was cut. Um, so there was, there was context for barbecue sauce. I think it works much better without context. Cause I love watching people just try to like figure out what the hell that means or what's going on there. Um, kind of wonderfully enigmatic uh yeah there was a line before that i don't remember what the line was i wasn't uh i wasn't even on set that day because i was uh finishing writing the next episode um but yeah the standalone barbecue sauce is ah mwah, you, know, you can't see any chef's chef's kiss people it's a chef's kiss my favorite part of that scene and i and i it's it's beautiful and i mean that in the most sort of soulful way is the reaction shots from hannah whittingham who plays Rebecca, the team owner, and Rupert's ex-wife. Um, it's just an unbelievable bit of acting, a combination of happiness and uh, overcome with emotion, facial expressions. Um, what, I don't know if you were involved at all in the editing of that scene and the setting of that scene, but it's just, the, I'm always fascinated by these artistic decisions. Like it's, It would be easy to just film Jason and Rupert, the actor who plays Rupert, um, and, and nothing, I mean, some generic crowd reaction, but filming her as a major part of the scene was it just it rounds it out perfectly i don't know if you have any insight into that but i just thought hannah whittingham was also nominated for an emmy like everybody uh, i might get nominated for an emmy after this podcast um i just thought that was an absolute like i i don't know i've never seen her before that that scene alone would have made me a huge fan of hers hannah's amazing um and yeah i mean that's just that's it's, it's good directing and good editing because you know you're shooting her coverage anyway um and just leave you know you just leave a camera on her to see if the editor will be able to use it and it turns out that she's amazing and even just silently watching and yeah you pepper that into uh what he's doing and it 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 it's it is it, i'm glad you call it out because it's one of the sort of uh less mentioned elements of that of the recipe of that scene that uh that make it sing is Jason is Ted Lasso saying, "Oh, so Rupert has a very cocky moment where he says, "Oh, we're going to play dart darts for this massive wager." Oh, I forgot I have my personal dart collection on me. And Jason and Ted Lasso says, "Oh, well, I forgot I'm left-handed." Is that are you? Is that an intentional homage to the Princess Bride, or just it just happened ha by accident? Uh, oh no, that's intentional uh, to Princess Bride and Demandy Patinkin, um, fellow Kenwood Academy graduate, um, along with Shaka Khan. Uh, and Nazi Muhammad as well. Oh, okay. 
How are you feeling about the Chicago Bulls, by the way? I know because you've been overseas, it's been hard for you to follow the team. We were DMing on Twitter the day of the, the Vucevic trade, and and um, and obviously they didn't make the play-in. Zach Levine had to be out for health and safety protocols. I don't know. I, I know you're a big, big fan, but how are you feeling about the state of the team? Consciously optimistic, you know, with the with the regime upstairs, really. And, you know, when they got Billy Donovan, I was like, what? We, we were able to get Billy Donovan? Oh, okay. <laughs> Okay, that's uncharacteristic of us. Um, so I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm. Uh, I don't want to spoil it. I will say I was watching that uh, that draft lottery with with uh, with a lot of hope in my heart. Um, but uh, too bad. So was that? A, I mean, actual basketball talk. Do you think that ends up being a good trade? Losing losing a high pick for Vucevic. I was I was on the day of the trade that I remember saying. I like this less for the Bulls and more for the Magic than consensus seems to be. Like, I think it'll be fine. He's Vooch is a really good player. He pairs well with Levine. But I, I thought Orlando did amazing to get that much for a 31-year-old center who's a defensive liability. And I didn't really, I didn't really love it for the Bulls and was worried that they were going to trap themselves into just being an okay team for a while. Um, I think there's some hope within the Bulls that some free agent somewhere will look at those two guys and say, oh, that, those, those guys would be fun to play with. Like, they'd be a draw for another really good player. Mm. We'll, we'll see. I do like Pat Williams, though. I think Pat, I don't know if you've gotten to watch him at all, the young kid they drive. I think he's going to be I really bet. good. Yeah. Okay. All right. Um, I feel good about myself now. Who came up with the idea of Ted Lasso making cookies every day for the team owner? I cannot remember. Um I can't remember. It might have been Joe Kelly, um, the aforementioned Joe Kelly, who is the uh, the writer of that second episode. Um, uh, yeah, that's that's my guess would be would be Joe Kelly. But it certainly has been a fun fun runner. It was a, it was a fun thing to like you know find the right moment in the season to make that reveal, which I think came out pretty well too. It did. It, I suspected that it was him that making them, but it was good to have my my suspicions confirmed. So I told you I was going to ask you this before. What's um What's a scene, whether you're in it or not, that's maybe not one of the iconic scenes, an under-the-radar scene, maybe there's not even a great joke in it anywhere, but that for some reason is near and dear to your heart as one of the creators of this thing? Um, there, in episode four, which is the, uh, the gala episode, uh, Rupert's first appearance and all that, there's a bunch of great stuff, but one sort of table-setting scene is literally at a table, which is the moment when... Roy and Jamie realize they've been sat at the same table. Um, and then Ted said, and Roy tries to go away and goes, no, sit down. I parent trapped y'all. Um, that's just a great little scene of like bouncing around, you know, Juno uh, who plays Keely and Phil Dunster who plays Jamie Tart and Brett who plays Roy and Nick who plays Nate and Mr. Sudeikis. They're all, they all have moments in that scene that it's really, really fun. The first time we're seeing those five characters together, it kind of sets the tone for for some relationship stuff, you know, in the love triangle, and it has one of my absolute favorite jokes of the whole series, which is uh, when when Keeley compliments Nate on his suit, and he says, "Thank you. It's the first suit I've ever owned. Um, it's, it's the second suit I've ever owned. The first one was when I was a naked baby." <laughs> <laughs> and I, I, I rewatched that scene today, and nobody laughs. And to me, the funniest part of it is when Ted Lasso says. Uh, yeah, the, the, the term birthday suit would really helped you there. <laughs> yes. Um, oh, that kills J me every time. 
Jamie Tart Phil Dunster is shirtless during that scene for some for some reason. And that scene also has a, a very good joke uh, related to the parent trapping, which is that Ted Lasso says, I just I just admire the writing of jokes because I can't do it and I just I'm fascinated by the process. So the joke is Ted Lasso says, I like my cause there's locker room dispute between between uh, Roy and and Jamie, the old veteran and the young cocky hotshot who's a jerk and selfish. At that point in this in the series, not making the extra pass, which is his NBA expression that gets into the show. And Ted Lasso says, I like my locker rooms like my mom's swimsuit in one piece. Like, how many versions of that joke are there? Are there other, like, I like my locker rooms like, and then there's like seven other punchlines that you chose this one over? No, I think in that case, that was that was the clear the clear one because, you know, one piece bathing suit is, is a, is a phrase that exists. So I think one piece, let us, let us right there. It is one of two jokes we have during the course of the season that are about a mother or mother-in-law's bathing, bathing suit though, which is something we need to, we need to explore <laughs> more or less. I'm not sure, but it's weird that we do it twice. You have this brand of joke that is almost 30 rockish. Um, and Jason Sudeikis was of course on 30 rock um, as, as Liz Lemon's love interest. It's a joke that is like like a normal conversation is happening and then a joke sort of organically emerges and takes takes over the conversation. So the one that I was watching today, I just happened to see it, was I don't remember even the context, but Ted Lasso says he's he's asked for some advice or something and he says, you know, I have two I have two lessons in life. The first is Never take a candy bar on the playground from from whatever the kid's name was when I was in elementary school because he might have touched it. So that's like a genre of joke where someone uh, there's a normal conversation and then somehow it turns into the setup for this joke that's very thirty rockish and there's a lot of that. I, I don't even like that. I just picture you guys in the writers' room being like, okay, here's the conversation. Where can we implant these jokes and just a rapid fire competition for who can? Is that how it is? Like because it's. And, and also you risk become, I think 30 Rock almost had too many jokes. Like there were just so many jokes. You couldn't hear all of them. You have the, you guys strike the right balance of, of getting those in there, but they, without, without seeming like it's taking over the show. Well, I mean, we, we all love 30 Rock. I mean, that's straight up one of the best TV shows of all time. Um, and 30 Rock was so incredibly dense that, you know, I, I've not quite consciously, but we knew we wouldn't be able to do what they do in any kind of meaningfully better way, you know, like um, that, that having a show at that pace has now been done and it's been done the best it'll ever be done. So clap your hands and find something else. So we, we go at a slower pace, but we do still try to be, you know, a more like uh, a more of a loping dense, uh, I guess. And in terms of how jokes get in it, I mean, I guess it's it's sort of like mini competitions in the moment, but like we just we just we just spitball, and sometimes a joke you know doesn't necessarily fit the scene we're working on, so we write it on a card and we put it on the joke wall, uh, and then later on when we're like ah oh, we need a joke in this scene, we look to the joke wall and see if any of those that we loved in the moment um, can find uh, a new home. Um, but yeah, those are digressions, is what they're is what they're called. Digressions, and, uh, yes. And writing digressions for Ted is definitely like something we spend chunks of time on in the writer's room. Um, but in the end, Jason's better at writing those than any of us are. But we I try. I wish the digression is, is thank you for giving me the technical term because that helps my me just talk about it. But 
it, the show is full of those and it's all it's Ted is full of them. That's how he talks. That's how he is in conversations. It's a lot of his conversations with Rebecca are like that. And I don't know if there's a if there's one that comes to mind that you really, really loved or just felt like was amazing. But I just to give listeners like a, a, another idea of what we're talking about. Oh, boy. Um, there's just so many that he has. Um, uh, there's one in the pilot or not the pilot, but the first episode of season two, um, which will be out in a few hours that uh, is in a scene that he and I have together where he it's in the pub. And he's about to talk to me about, you know, being concerned that we're, the team is bringing a sports therapist. And for no good reason, we first have to exchange like eight lines about the gin blossoms uh, <laughs> in the middle of this conversation. <laughs> and then we finally get back into it. And then the gin blossoms are done. We don't talk about them anymore. Um, but, yeah, we have them all the time, and I, I, I love them. Well, uh, about Coach Beard's um, relationship status, Ted Lasso says, Coach Beard thinks relationships are like steaks. You know, you spend more than five minutes on any one of them, they lose their flavor. It's just like, I, I, I don't know how you keep a straight face during, during these. Um, about not being saccharine, a, a scene that I just thought as a viewer, a, it's more than one scene, but an angle that I thought was important for that was when Ted has like a one night stand in a hotel with one of Rebecca's friends. And not that I don't think that's a, a bad thing. I don't think I think Ted seems to think it's a bad thing that he's done or an immoral thing that he's done. I don't think it's bad. I just think it humanizes him because he's created this problematic situation where he feels guilty. The woman doesn't feel guilty at all. She's like, I had a great time. I'm going to order breakfast and all that. Um, how did how did you did you decide to write that to show his vulnerability to show? Because I do think that's that's a that scene just as a viewer was important to me to like humanize him in a, in a, in a different way. Um, yeah, we wanted to, cause the danger with making uh, danger is probably not quite the right term, but um, a, a risk you can run into with having a character who is, you know, so much of a, like, you know, human instrument of, of goodness is that he can be um, asexual or non-sexual. And if he's asexual or non-sexual, well, some people might say, then he's not fully human. Um, so we didn't want him to be, yeah, he didn't, we didn't want him to be that. You know, we wanted to show that side of him somewhere. And this organically was the place to do it. Um, and we really loved putting in that, you know, structuring it in such a fake out way that the audience kind of goes, oh my God, is that Rebecca at his door? Um, because, you know, for a brief period in the writer's room, it was going to be Rebecca. Um, and then... Um, and they were like, no, no, that's that, 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 that should be protected. We need to protect that relationship at all costs. That should never happen. Um, but, uh, but we can get sassy in there, and that'll be as fun or more. Well, part of the reason why it works is not just because he feels guilty and all this. It's, it's because it shows he's not unaware of his appeal. He knows he's charming. He knows he's handsome. And he knows like he's pretty confident he's got away with women. Like I think, because, to your point, Mr. Good Guy is usually like, oh, I'm – People like me? Oh, wow. What a happy bonus of my goodwill. Ted is in that moment aware of, oh, I have, I have this going on for me. Um, yeah. Yeah. He's, he's just, he's just real, you know, or as real as, uh, as real as, as that can be. Yeah. So here's the joke. I told you I was rewatching some scenes and I heard a joke that I didn't hear the first time. It's from that, it's from that scene. So she wakes up and Ted has got her an extended checkout and said, I got to go, but you know, you do whatever you want. She says, well, I'm going to order a huge breakfast 
room service on your tab. And he says, I'm happy to be your underhill anytime. I'm happy to be your underhills anytime. And I, I said, wait a second. Did he say, did he say underhills? Is this like an obscure Fletch reference about when Fletch goes to the country club and orders everything on the underhills tab? How in the hell do you land there? And how are you okay with the fact that like an astronomical percentage of viewers are not going to have any idea what that joke is? <laughs> well, I mean, we are, we're all Fletch fans, uh, particularly Bill and Jason. I mean, I think they're, you know, part of the start of them getting together was, uh, was exploring the possibility of, of any kind of, you know, of working on Fletch. But, um, you know, I mean, the Underhills reference just comes naturally because that's exactly what's happening. And in terms of people not getting it, we have, we have a million jokes like that. Like basically a hundred percent of our jokes will not be gotten by a hundred percent of the people. And so we don't mind if, you know, 10% of the jokes are only gotten by 2% of the people, as long as it's a different 2% every time. Um, so, you know, that's why you get your occasional references, your occasional Iverson rant, um, and a few, you know, soccer Easter eggs that, uh, people might not get, but we don't linger on them long enough that it does any damage so much, you know? It's it's a, it's fun to have one of those when you're in a live theater, um, you know, like during a play or something where like, it's, you know, it's 500 people say, and like you say a joke that you know is funny, but you know that only three people are gonna laugh, but then they do. And it makes everyone else go, okay, I didn't get that, but the show is still good apparently. Apparently they're still doing funny things. So I continue to listen. I didn't even notice it, and I was delighted today when I did notice it. And there are a lot of jokes like that in the show, as you, as you said. This may be a dumb question, but did Ted Lasso always have the same voice? Did, did Jason just nail it on the first time, or have there been other Ted Lasso accents that were workshopped at some point? Because the voice is, it's perfect. I love I love it. Um, I think that is a, a voice that is in his, you know, his infinite jukebox or Lazy Susan or whatever, you know, a variegated uh, uh, messenger system you want to, uh, you know, analogize. Uh, he, he had done it on SNL a time or two. Um, and, but like not, it was never like a signature thing. You know, it was never like a signature character per se. Um, but so that has always been the voice from the moment, you know, we first met at his, at his house in the hills to uh, get, uh, how's he in the hills at the time, um, to just, you know, vomit notes and bits out onto a, on a, a few legal pads that was always ted's voice and um and yeah there's never been much variance from it we're going one episode at a time right or the, the, you're not you're not that's how you're releasing it one at a, one a week or one what is it yeah one a week this time the first season was uh three at once and then one more after a week and then <laughs> i mean we kind of wrote the first part of the season thinking that the first three episodes would come out at once um then, then they're like, no, no, one a week. And like, oh, oh, okay, no, it's fine, it's fine. Um, but yeah, but the the trade off is this time there's two more episodes. So, yeah, I, a good little bit. As someone who is both patient, but also knows that I would watch the whole show in two nights. Thank you. I like this way better. It's going to give me something to look forward to every week or whenever it comes out. Um, tea, English tea. <laughs> Keep hammering it. I hate tea. I don't. I don't get tea. It's an endless source of delight for me that Ted Lasso hates tea. Is that gonna? Without spoiling anything, are we gonna get a recurrence of that joke at all in season two? Yes. 
okay. in short. You will. Yeah. I, I, I've never got it with tea either. And I'm such a, f-ing, you know, European wannabe. You'd think I'd have adopted it by now. And every couple of years I'll have a cup of tea, like just like, you know, to, to check in. But yeah, I've, it's never, it's never grabbed me. And I'm, I'm a huge coffee guy now. And I know tea is better for you than coffee in pretty much every way possible. I don't, just, do I don't me. care. I don't care. I don't care about the health. I don't care about the health information. I don't care. I don't care about it. Today's interview has been fueled by Gatorade. Whatever path you take to greatness, Gatorade is there to fuel it. Greatness starts with G. All right. You're very busy. You're promoting this show all over the place. It doesn't even need promotion anymore. That's the, that's the cool thing about it. But was there anything, is there anything we didn't hit that you want to hit? Is there any part of this, the show's journey we didn't hit that you want to talk about or anything you want to say about season two or anything like that? The floor is yours. <laughs> um, this is my third interview of the day. So I'm a little brain fried and I hate the sound of my own voice, but you had mentioned something about wanting to ask about grace notes. Yes. You- I, I, yes. Um, there was an interview that I, either you or Jason gave, I can't remember talking about how because your episodes can be longer than like an 18 minute televised sitcom or 22 minutes or whatever the, the sitcom length with commercials is you you guys can let scenes linger and i think it was jason that said we we can have these grace notes and i and, it, and the interview kind of left it there and it made me think like what it, what are they actually talking about so what does that mean or what is it what is a grace note in the ted lasso universe yeah so it's a very specific musical term that i will not attempt to define because I will I will do it slightly wrong, but the examples of it in the show, because because you've you've basically described it right there. You know, just we moments where we have the op- we have the opportunity to take a little time, so we do. But one is, um, yeah, getting back toward the episode uh, toward the end of episode seven, the Liverpool episode. You know, after the uh, the events of the karaoke, um, we see Ted in his hotel room signing the divorce papers, um, and that easily could have been. You know, just he gets them, he signs them, and done, or just cut to Ted signing the papers or whatever. But you know, there's another phrase uh, called um, don't burn your steps, which is a, I believe it was Buster Keaton, but it might have been Charlie Chaplin. And don't burn your steps means like if, if Buster Keaton had uh, it said in a script, uh, Buster goes to the cabinet and takes a teacup out and pours himself some tea. Um, he wouldn't just, you know, pour himself tea. He would go, he would go to the door, touch the door. Is everything okay? Right. He would open the door and then, you know, look for the teacup and like, is it this teacup? No, it's like, you know, really, do every single thing they're supposed to do. Don't, you know, don't, don't skip anything. So in that moment, we're, we're doing both of those things where he's not burning his steps. We see him, we see him enter the room. We see him look at the papers. We see him sit down. He takes a breath. He grabs the pen. He signs it. We, uh, we see him take a picture and, and he sits back and it like, there's grace notes there. You know, we're just taking our time with this moment. There are no jokes, but, by that point in the show, you know that there have been jokes. You know that there will be jokes. We hopefully have your trust by that point. Therefore, we're going to take a grace note before we carry on. Well, you have my trust, um, and I've seen you get asked a lot of times, like, do you feel any any pressure now about season two? Because season one's gotten all these awards. And you're like, we wrote season two before. <laughs> like, we were doing this before. But I am, like, I have Jordan in 1997 level confidence like when i would watch the bulls <laughs> in 1997 in the playoffs i'm like i know how the game's gonna end the bulls are gonna win i know season two is gonna be good i don't i know it's gonna be great i don't have any questions i don't even I, i'm fully fully confident um brendan hunt 
It's been so wonderful to get to talk to you. I hope we stay in touch. I, I can't wait for Ted yeah, Lasso. I, I, and again, congratulations on, I mean, I write about basketball every now and then, and I write columns and they get thrown in the trash can after a day. You have created something <laughs> really, really special. No, I, I'm, I'm being saccharine, but you should, it's, it's amazing and it's incredible what you've done. Uh, thank you on behalf of all the millions of people who are going to watch this show for giving us something to look forward to. Uh, well, thank you, man. Um, this is this is really it. Really is a pleasure. Um, to the question of, of other things to talk about, I have two basketball thoughts. Let's go. All right. One is for people who are who are listening to this podcast who are basketball fans but not soccer fans. I just if you haven't enough already, just I urge you to give soccer a shot because the the DNA is very similar and and mainly, you know, it's about flow. Like the best soccer teams and the best basketball teams are trying to find flow. Just one of them has a clock, and the other one doesn't. And um, and that's part of why Jason, the lifelong basketball guy, has been able to get into soccer by, you know, clicking into that. And secondly, I don't know if you've ever watched the um, the Bulls uh, 98 finals game six game on ESPN Classic. Have you ever watched like at home as opposed to like back in a bar back in the day? Probably I have. But I I mean, I rewatched it during the last dance and stuff. But I don't know if I specifically watched it on ESPN Classic. One thing I noticed on an ESPN Classic viewing a while ago um because you know when it first happened you know i'm screaming and going nuts and can't hear a damn thing but watching it you know flicking through channels once and watched it so you know the game ends and it's celebratory and all the bulls surround jordan and you can very clearly hear steve kerr shout on a hot mic before they would edit these things out before they're on delay steve kerr to probably michael jordan you're amazing man <laughs> I see this. That's perfect. That's a perfect way to end. I also like to shout out Dusty Gunderson, big fan. Um, Dusty, you're awesome. Uh, Brendan Hunt, Ted Lasso needs no more introduction. Thank you for spending some of your downtime with us because I know you don't have any. Brendan Hunt, thank you, sir. Thank you, Zach. The pleasure. Cheers. Two guys drove to work. Neither guy wore a seatbelt. One guy got a ticket. One guy didn't. The same two guys drove home. One guy wore a seatbelt. One guy didn't. One guy made it home. The guy not wearing his seatbelt didn't. Don't risk it. Click it or ticket. Paid for by NHTSA.